Hello, you're listening to the Stay Whole podcast. I'm Sanjay, your host. My aim is to help you demystify the world of health and wellness using evidence-based lifestyle interventions that will enable you to live happier, healthier, and more productive lives. This revolves around three key principles, eat, live, and move. Sarika Shah is a registered dietitian and nutritionist in the US. She has also taught nutrition courses at San Jose University, and she's now providing nutrition counseling to adults and children of all ages within her private practice. I reached out to Sarika because I specifically wanted to talk about nutrition advice for the Indian community. We are both Indian by ethnicity and more specifically Gujaratis. In the UK and the US, ethnic minority populations are at high risk of diseases such as type 2 diabetes and heart disease. Often, the nutrition guidance provided by governments is too generic for these populations to understand or relate to, and Sarika's aim is to bridge that gap with the work that she does. In this episode, we talk about why ethnic minorities might be at greater risk of disease, where they might be going wrong with their food, what to put on your plate, portion sizes, and much, much more. So here is Sarika Shah. Great. Sarika, thank you very much for agreeing to come onto my podcast. It's been, I've been waiting for this conversation for a while. We had a chat a few weeks ago and uh, yeah, really excited for this one. So thank you. If you could just give the listeners you know, a, a background about yourself, what you, who you are and what you do, that would be wonderful. Sure. So I'm Sarika. Um, I'm known as the Indian nutritionist and I'm a registered dietitian and here practicing in the United States. I'm coming up on 20 years being a registered dietitian. Um, I have decided with all my years of experience to take a focus on Indian culture and Indian ethnicity as far as um, nutrition and the aspect of it. I believe that um, our Indian cultural foods are super healthy. It's just how to implement them in our day-to-day life, um, especially for ones living abroad, like in the United States, and how to just be happy and mindful and bring awareness to it and decrease the risk of disease that is prominent in amongst the Southeast Asians, especially Indians. This is one of the topics that I really want to get into with you in the the food and the uh, obviously the risk of disease within this culture. Can I just touch a little bit on you know a little bit about the the motivations of why you decided to become a nutritionist because uh, again coming from that Indian cultural background it's not a traditional career path that has often been you know has been seen I mean we, we think of doctors and the medical profession um, as, a, as a you know a more common path that people go down what was your motivation to become a nutritionist that's a really good question I'm going to give you the short answer for a long-winded answer about that. <laughs> we, got, we got all the time, but yeah, go on, go ahead. Um, I went into undergrad um, as a typical Desi, as an engineer major. Um, here in the United States, we get out of our senior year of high school at the age 17, 18, and, and we go dive right into university. Um, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. I was good at science and I was good at math. Um, engineering just seems like the path that seemed the right route because I did not know or the safe route because I did not know what I wanted to do. And I took course in nutrition to meet some general education requirements my freshman year, my first year at university. And it convinced me. And the backline on that is my sister had been diagnosed with ulcerative colitis, which we didn't know about. She was seeing dietitians and no one looked like her and no one understood our food. Um, and we have cancer and heart disease and diabetes in my family. So starting to realize that, hey, there is actually something that can be done. 
aside from just saying, you know, our typical myths and stereotypes, oh, don't eat this, eat this. I just actually didn't even know there was a whole world of nutritional science. I mean, it intrigued me from that perspective. And so then I dived deep and I changed my major and told my dad. (laughs) (laughs) How did that go down? (laughs) Actually, oddly enough, we were on our way to India. I mean, on our way back from India that December after the first quarter. And I told my dad on our way home, on our flight way, on our flight back, hey, dad, I think I'm going to be changing my major. And honestly, his biggest thing was like, if this is what you like and this is what you want to do, then that's fine. But I want to raise a daughter that can be self-supportive because he has two daughters, no sons. And so his thing is just to make sure that you can be independent financially as you grow older and not to be dependent on somebody else. And that was his biggest thing. But if I was happy, he was happy. So remarkably, he took it well. Very sensible advice from a father. And as, as, a, as a father of a very young child myself, it's exactly what I would be saying to my daughter. So uh, yeah, uh, I, I, I'm, I'm with your dad on that one. Um, so yeah, here you are. This is great. Uh, look, let's get straight into it because there's a lot we can talk about here. So we want to try and obviously keep it as concise as possible, but there is here in the UK. And I know certainly also in over there in the U S uh, ethnic minorities as a, as a whole. So you know, this would cover not just the Indian population, but you know, um, you know, other Asian uh, demographics over there, I guess it would, con- it would also encapsulate the, uh, the Latino community, the black uh, American, African-American community. You know, so there is a, they, they are at higher risk of certain types of lifestyle diseases or other diseases as well. We talk about type two diabetes is obviously a big one, heart disease, um, even, you know, We've we've learned recently about COVID nineteen and that those demographics are, are more susceptible to to these diseases. Now, I've tried to look into the science as to why why this is the case, and I can't really find a, a really definitive answer. And even at, in the work that I do, you know, we advise our our demographic or our, sorry, our patients that hey, look, if you're from this demographic, you're at higher risk. And I've even asked you know uh, the powers that be, and, and again, no one can give me a real definitive answer. Do you have an understanding or an idea or your own opinion on why that might? be the case from your experience? Um, I have an opinion. Um, I definitely cannot as long as well as you cannot pinpoint what puts us at higher risk for, um, type two diabetes, obesity, and heart disease. Um, as far as an ethnic minority or minority of Indian being in the United States. Um, I know that's really specific, but our risk here, I believe is Finding a blend of balanced in diet and movement when you come to the U.S. and when you live here. Um, When we live in India, we have greater movement. We eat fresher foods. And the availability and accessibility of convenient food items is not there, readily available. And so I think that when you come to the United States, as immigrants, there are more than often as H-1 visas holders, they're working really long hours. They're working, I hate to generalize, but I'm going to say they're more than often in the tech industry, especially because I live in California. And that's where I see what I see out here in the Bay Area, Bay Area, Silicon Valley. Um, They work long hours, they're desk jobs, no movement. Food is quick and easy. Snacking is quick and easy. It's in a very sedentary lifestyle. So with the combination of then eating a large full Indian meal at dinner when they get home. So I think that the overconsumption of calories occurs, the increased consumption of fat 
where you and I both know working this industry, there's good fats, bad fats, but fat needs to be limited in consumption. And the lack of exercise and the mobility, um, I definitely think that that's what I see as a trend in my clients. Yeah, it's a cultural it's a cultural shift, isn't it? As you said, coming from uh, India or you know we, wherever the country that the person comes from. You know, my parents came from Africa, but they're absolutely yeah. right. The the food is very different. Um, the the availability of of the highly processed foods is very very you know it's very limited, and the foods are fresh. And this is actually a um, an ongoing um, battle. No, it's not really a battle, but it's a discussion I have with my grandmother, and she's like, "Oh, you know, you go on about this and this and this nutrition, and I've been eating all this this way for years, and." you know look at me and she's relatively healthy you know no major underlying issues apart from maybe you know a bit of um uh, mobility issues uh, but and I, I always say to her you know but you when you were a little girl growing up in africa you know the food that you were eating you know it's what we would now call as you know organic you know it's it's the it was the real the real stuff it was the good stuff so your body you've grown up your immune system your bones everything's been built on you know really good nutritious food and absolutely as you said movement you know so i said how did you play when you were when you were younger you know there were outdoors there were climbing trees and you know there was there was no technology then so so that shift from that kind of culture and as you said coming into whether you're going to the u.s or whether the people that came over here to the uk Absolutely. You know, my dad, my dad worked in a, and my dad had a shop, you know, again, you know, thinking about stereotypes, but he had a shop and it, although he was on his feet all day long, you know, the rest of his life was, was quite sedentary and um, it was the overconsumption culture. And I think this, you can look at this at India now, right? Because, you know, I've looked, I look a lot at uh, uh, what's happening with type 2 diabetes within the world. And India actually has a major problem right now with type 2 diabetes. And one of the, the factors in, in, in that is because the advent of you know, again, these fast food, the processed food culture has, you know, it's taken India, you know, in the last, I don't know, maybe 20 years or so. Um, obviously, wealth has become, you know, a, 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 there's there's a middle class now, isn't there, in India where there never used to be. It used to be you're either really rich or you're very poor. And now we have this middle class. So the wealth factor, you can afford more comfortable things. You, you can afford labor-saving devices. You can might be able to afford, you know, to have a cleaner rather than doing your own. So yeah, absolutely, the activity goes down. So I certainly agree with you on that. And again, you're right, it's opinions. You know, we, we're sitting here, uh, both of us are, you know, from our previous conversation, we like to base things on facts. That's why I wanted to be clear on this, that this is our, our opinions and our judgments. But there is something there with that cultural shift uh, which must 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 play a part right right um i absolutely agree with you i think that if we were to make look for the real science i think we would have to look at um a generalized population not specific to the indian culture but how maybe technology which you hit the nail on the head for was um how technology is impacting even the younger generations despite ethnicity Yes. And I think that that's probably the only science we can maybe like really look for answers. But you're right. These are purely our opinions with our experience with the clients that we both see. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And yeah, that, that's that's, that's good to make that clear as well uh, in this case. Let's talk about the the food then. So, you know, a lot of uh, certainly uh, I'm Gujarati. I believe you, you're from a Gujarati background as well. Yes. A lot of, again, it's, it's different now. Things have changed a lot in, in, you know, as, as in the modern world. But when I was growing up, a lot of Gujaratis were vegetarians. So they're, you know, they're, they're obviously that puts them in a certain bracket and certain foods that they're excluding from their diet. Uh, a lot of you know, Hindus and Gujaratis don't eat beef for, for religious reasons as well. Um, right. So I want to talk a bit more about the food and 
uh, I guess, you know, there's there's certain, how can I say, there's certain myths that come about as a result of, oh, well, I, you know, I'm, I'm a vegetarian, I eat loads of vegetables, because, you know, it's in it's in the title, <laughs> that's what I do. So, and um, there's this understanding or a misunderstanding even about what a good diet is for a, you know, an Indian, if we, you know, we're being very specific here, for that Indian culture and specifically the Gujarati culture. So what, in your opinion, is, would be, you know, uh, I guess we can we can tackle this both ways. We can look at the, the myths first, and then we can sort of look at the what would be a, a, a good diet, or we can do it the other way around. But I mean, what was your understanding of you know um, of of that culture of the myths and things? That what are the common things that you hear about from people that you know are just it's just either misinformation or is you know it's just a, a, a plain myth. Right. Um. So I think with uh, uh, Indians, couple of things. I think that there is myths, which is like long stood. But then there's also Ayurvedic medicine or um, naturopathy medicine that Indians believe in, which does have science, but it's a different science. And then this is, I practice Western science. So the collaboration of that and myth busting from that perspective or using my Western science to conquer these myths generally are how certain foods can't be mixed together. For those that eat fish, like curd and fish or yogurt and fish cannot be eaten together. You cannot have something like lemon and milk or dairy together because that will curdle in your stomach. Um, You should not be drinking water with your meals um, because that will inhibit digestion, which in fact, science has the exact opposite of that, where water helps with the digestion of food with meals. Um, And also decreases the risk of overeating when you have water with your meal. I remember that one as a child, definitely the water one for sure. Yeah. So that is probably the first one. I, one of the biggest ones I tackle. Um, I actually like to just, I think with me, my program, when I work with them, because mine is a little bit longer, um, it's a 12 week program, the conversation, and you start to see, Hey, well, you can ask them when you plated your food, why wasn't this here, you know, or what was this? And And I think each subculture within India has their own myths. Um, And so it's actually just using science and facts. And more than often when they're living in the United States, they assimilate and they understand, hey, okay, you're proving me right. Okay, it was just something my grandmother told me. And so I believed it, you know, and they're pretty receptive to that change. Um, what was you had the second part of that question, which is how I would plate a food? Is that what you had asked? Yeah, me? Well, yeah, we'll come to that definitely. We'll talk about the, the plating of food on the on the on the myth side, and you know, I, I guess it's great to see that it's great to hear from your side that you're seeing that people being receptive um, to you know to these changes. Um, I, you know, again, I don't know what the age demographic of the people that you work with, but I on, on the work that I've done in my in my day job, if you like, I work with a lot of, I guess it's forty to to seventy year olds, and I, I found that they're first very you know resistant to change Uh, and i think part of it is down to something you you touched on earlier in that you know a lot of the advice and the general guidance that's around particularly from the governments you know and you look at the the, you know whether it's the food pyramid or the eat well guide or whichever country you know whatever they're using at the time they are mainly based on the western diet and um, i guess the people from ethnic minorities say well i don't eat that food you know i don't eat you know what's pictured on this food so it's not relevant to me um so i think that kind of excludes them they or they feel like they are excluded from that and i think you can definitely apply um you know modern western science to you know different cultures Uh, you just have to kind of have to you know 
pick at it a little bit more. Um, so I think that's uh, that's why I really was interested in what you were doing because then I followed your posts on Instagram and just watching and, and hearing what you're talking about. It was very specific to these cultures and the foods that they would eat on a daily, regular basis and just saying, look, hey, you can, instead of having this, you can have that. And I think that's obviously a very, very important part. Um, but yeah, that, so t- my point being, the change is happening. I see there's a certain people that are just going to be resistant to it. It's like, well, no, this is what I've known all my life. And this is, you know, this is how it is. And, or I don't do the cooking in my house. And so I have no influence over this. Um, but you know, when people do change, you're absolutely right. I have, I also witnessed that shift and say, you know, actually, yeah, you're right. You can do this. And there are, there are other ways and alternative ways. Uh, and maybe, yeah, my grandmother did tell me, um, the incorrect information. And on the, on the flip side, there's certain things that, you know, the Eastern culture has brought to the Western side, which, you know, there's, there's a lot of validity and a lot of science into, into those things as well. So, you know, I guess it, it does work both ways. And I think this is, I think we're, an, we're at an interesting time right now where we are seeing, you know, all walks of healthcare looking at other disciplines and seeing, okay, what can we draw from these other cultures or these other practices and seeing, you know, where are the crossovers and, and where can we actually, you know, use science to back up what, other practices are doing. And I think we're seeing that coming through more and more. I don't know if that's something you've seen yourself. Yeah, absolutely. I see um, when I heard of a golden latte, I nearly fell out of my chair because <laughs> that was to me something we grew up drinking, you know, heard their new dude, um, turmeric milk, right? Yeah. Um, but the US and Starbucks, the large companies have adapted and called it golden milk. Well, that's a great name. Had it been called Golden Milk growing up, I probably would have drank it more often or willingly. Um, But, you know, I think that they're embracing a lot of our culture. Um, In the U.S., you can get, you know, just at a normal grocery store, you can pick up a lot of our spices that we use in our day-to-day cooking. Um, Pre-made packaging of dolls in a Costco, which is like a big box bulk place to buy food. Um, so it has definitely made a change. You know, um, I get, I, I actually respect it and I love that they're embracing it because I think it makes it for Indians living abroad easier to assimilate with the current food, with our traditional foods. Cause I would hate for our traditional foods to go away when there's such a great benefit out of them. You're, you're right in seeing, in seeing that shift and, and, and I guess it just, it, it, there's more and more people right there's more and more um indians as they've as they've uh, emigrated and gone to these other countries obviously they've had kids and they had kids are having kids so there's that cultural uh we can keep that cultural identity by eating the foods that we're used to eating and then you know with people like yourselves and i've seen other people who are doing things like you know um cooking you know instagram channels which are dedicated to indian cooking or healthy cooking and they're 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 it's showing you recipes and alternatives and there's cookbooks and all these stuff. So yeah, this is, this is a really good shift that's happening. I said, it's a very interesting time to see that. And I think what I'm seeing from uh, the younger generation coming through who are going into, whether it's medicine or nutrition or, you know, fitness or whatever it might be, you know, again, these other avenues are starting to open up as career options and, and they're bringing this, this newfound way of, of thinking and this new science backed approach. So I think it's definitely, I have hope for the future is what I'm trying to say. I think there's going to be a, a shift and I'm starting to see it now, which is, which is really great. Um, what are some of the, what, where, where are 
some of the cult- where where is the Indian culture maybe going wrong with maybe in the way that they're preparing food? This is probably a good way to start to then lead on to what we how how we can fix it because I want to talk about that. But what are some of the mistakes that have been made that may be leading to either overconsumption or processing food in the wrong way so that we're you know we're losing the nutrient? I think we should start with that and in, in that you know what happens when we when we process food or when we cook food and and we're talking we can, well, I guess I'm talking about nutrient density here as well. Can we can you touch on that a little bit? Um, yeah, so that's a heavy question. So I'm going to start with the first part of it, if that's okay with yeah, you. Yeah, sure. Sorry. Um, I think where we fall in confusion and where we start wrong is probably the way we start our morning. Generally speaking, I think jaw is great. You know, it's got milk and your caffeine and it's got all those anti-inflammatory um, additions to it in the jaw masala, you know, like with um, cardamom and et cetera. So yeah. I think that, there, that that's great. Where do we go wrong? How much sugar do we put in it? Um, and then what do we pair our cha with or chai? We tend to, you know, I'm Gujarati, so as you are, yep. is generally like a kakra or a fried nasto, like whether it's gatia, kakra, something just very carb heavy fried. But I love to teach them, hey, let's not cut that out. Let's keep that reduce the size instead of eating like three or four kakras, let's go down to two and add mug. Now, if you go back to the traditional Gujarati homes in Gujarat that are still living that, you know, that cultural strong line, they have always offered a protein at breakfast. Um, but as you get further and further out with greater amount of money and accessibility, it becomes, the kakra becomes convenient. It's already made. You buy it in a store-bought package and you move on and that's what you have. Because to have mug or mung beans at breakfast takes a little more time and planning and effort. So I think that for me, I always like to start there. And also with the water. Generally, I love to say that I would say many of my clients, probably about 50%, definitely start the morning with a glass of water, which I think is a fantastic way to start the morning. You're talking from a, from a hydration perspective here? From a hydration perspective and also to set your day so you don't start overeating with your breakfast and then spike your blood sugars, you know, our favorite hormones with the cortisol, ghrelin, leptin, and insulin to get them all activated in such a negative way with a high carb diet or in a high sugar diet. Do you know what I does that make sense? Yeah, no, absolutely. This is something I've observed obviously myself with my family and a conversation I've had in, in exactly the same way that you've approached is to say, look, you just look at what look at the plate and and look at what you're eating and yeah there's always lacking that protein and you're right and when I actually I remember when I first went to India and again went to you know a traditional home and you know I think it was a family home or an extended family home and and you know we stayed there and you and for breakfast I was I was perplexed by what was offered for breakfast I was like this isn't breakfast food this you know to me it was lunch <laughs> it was lunch or dinner because there was you know there was mug and and dal and these sorts of things being offered I was like that's really strange but then now that I've learned a little bit more and I understand and I look at how you know the cultures here in the UK are eating I'm like well actually yeah they're they're probably got something they got they're onto something there because they're actually eating the protein and they're and it's less carb heavy. But yeah, look, you look at the tea. Yeah, there's heavy amounts of milk, which is fine, but the sugar is extremely sweet. And I don't even know if if you know when I was younger, when my mum was making tea or my ba was making tea, whether they actually knew how much sugar they were putting into it. It was just you know let's make it sweet. Um, and then yeah, absolutely, everything is very much carb focused, or it's that you know it's carb, but it's heavily fried in in, in refined oils, and and that's happening all the time. Now when I've when I've approached 
just for people to say, well, you know, it's it's only a little bit, but that little bit will come out. You know, those those you know the the savoury snacks as we like to call them, the Bombay mixes, just to kind of you know, help the other audiences to think about what we're talking. These savoury, snacky, crispy type foods that are heavily fried, they will come out with every meal. So, you know, and they'll not only come up with every meal, but they'll come up with every snack. So every every time there's a cup of tea or a tea time, they, those same things will come out. I'll say, look, you're having a little bit, which is great, but you're having a little bit very, very often. Um, so if we can maybe try to, you know, see where we can cut back on that. And as you said, add something else that might add a little bit more extra nutrition. That would be a really, really good place to start. So breakfast for sure, I think is, is a, is a common place where uh, the, the mistakes are made. And as you, as you said, it just sets the intention. Um, if we're talking about, you know, blood sugar levels, yeah, absolutely a very heavy carb uh, based breakfast is going to obviously spike that. And it's just maybe setting the day off in the wrong way. Yeah. Cause then you go to that high, low, high, low, where you want to stay at the high so you're going to continue to crave the carbs um, and those refined flours make you want to eat more um, because you digest them much more quicker than you do with something with fiber and, you know, in the protein, which we both know takes a little bit longer to break down and giving you a fullness factor for a longer period of time, which is what I love to explain to my clients about. Um, I start with that and I always tell them, I'm not here to take away. I'm here to add. So how can we add to your plate? Um, and then the natural shift comes when you have to add the protein or you're going to be adding fiber and protein at breakfast, the shift changes automatically because as a human, you just can't eat that much and being mindful, you know, put your computer away, put your phone away and be there present with yourself when you're eating and your company, you know, are you full check in with yourself? Don't just eat because, oh, I have to eat this much and get out the door. It's more of, is this fueling my body? How do I feel with it? Am I okay with it? You know, I ask them to practice some of that as well, um, which becomes natural to them if you continue to ask yourself and check in with yourself on your hunger. Yeah, something you said there was almost it's going back to how you know how things were in the, in the culture. And if, again, if you do go back to the to, to Indian places, like it probably was not that. Like for example, sitting around a table with uh, with the family and eating without the TV on, without the phones, because there was no TV or phones. But that's exactly again when I grew up, that's what we did. You know, at the, mo- the majority of the time, it was you know you sit down, you eat your food. There's no TVs on. Maybe the radio was on back in the day, but um, yes, yeah, so it's almost going back. And uh, I think it's just reconnecting with where we came from. Because I think again, you know. You look at every um, all the studies that have been done on this, and you talk about we talk about that having that screen free time, especially when you're eating meals and the the, the distractions are not there, and, and being mindful about what you're eating. I think that has, has a big part to play um, in in that. So yeah, and I like the fact that your approach about yeah, we're, I'm here to add something because I think when people maybe approach nutritionists or anyone that about their health when it comes to food, it's oh what, what you know I had this the other, just the other day it was the very first session and the lady said well um, I eat, this is this is, I'm a vegetarian. I do this. She wasn't, she wasn't Indian, but she said, I'm a vegetarian. Um, I, this is what I eat. What, what can I cut out? And I said that this, this conversation is not about cutting anything out of your diet. It's like, you know, what can we, where can we add the, the nutrients that might be missing and maybe where can we reduce portion sizes? So let's talk about that because this is a good strategy, right? I mean, I often use it as a, as a stage one, just to help People, ease people into it and say, look, if there is a case, if someone is overweight, if there is, you know, if, if there is an overconsumption issue issue here, the step one would be a, a good place might be to start is just to maybe reduce the amounts. And I think people don't understand the power of that. Yeah, they don't. 
you know, with you and I, we were, we know this. And so you can reduce amounts, um, but it's the amount of calories that you need to be reducing in the end. It's this basic math, right? To lose weight, you need to be a negative. So I've found that for my clients that are overweight and, and do overconsume, they like a fullness factor. And so for me to ease them into that is I actually have them increase the amount of vegetables that they eat at their, each of their meals. So at a very low amount of calories, right? You know, you have a cup of veggies that can be anywhere between 20 and 40 calories. Now you get up to two cups, you're already getting full at the meal time. Plus you, then you have your protein and then you have your carb, which any desi meal, you can have all of that by having a plate that is very plant forward. You get volume eating and you get the fullness factor at a negative. So you can start the process of weight loss. And that fullness factor from eating more uh, vegetables, as you, as you say, is coming from uh, added, well, it's the fiber, right? We're talking about here. Yeah, that's keeping absolutely. you full. Yeah. What happens then if you're talking about vegetable, we know vegetables have lots of good fiber, beans, legumes, all these things have really good, you know, high, high, high amounts of fiber in them. What starts to happen during the cooking process then, not just to fiber, but also to, to nutrients where, and this is maybe where it starts to go wrong a little bit. When you're talking about the breakdown and the oxidization, where we lose the nutrients. Yeah, when we start to lose the nutrients, because again, this is the, the the argument I've had of someone who is a vegetarian, they're Indian, you know, they're 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 pre-diabetic, they're they're BMI showing that they're obese, and then they're saying, well, I, all I eat is vegetables, so something's going wrong here, right? And and I believe them because they're vegetarian, they they are eating vegetables, so there's something that's not right, and and they, and I often look at maybe the cooking process or or something along those lines that's causing them to not get all the nutrients that they may think they're getting. So I'm going to differ a little bit with you on this one. Sure. Um, so when I see, so part of my program is photo journaling. So I don't rely on them telling me, I rely on them actually taking a picture of what they eat so I can see it. Um, there's a big misconception when, oh, I only eat a little bit of rice and I eat a lot of vegetables when my first initial interview with them, you know, my first, and then when they start uploading the pictures and I start to see no, they really aren't. They're eating probably about a cup of rice and a fourth a cup of vegetables, which they tend to think, oh, I do eat a lot of vegetables. So um, I don't focus on the cooking process initially at all. That comes like much later on, on how they're cooking. I actually really try to put an emphasis on getting the veggies into the plate and actually consuming them, um, even though the nutrients break down because the fiber is still there and that fullness factor is going to occur. Um, and I actually, to begin with, um, I ask a lot of clients to start with at least having their veggies cooked because when you eat raw vegetables and you're not used to it, you will get bloated and you'll have distension because your body's not used to it. And it takes about a week or so to get adjusted to it, but I don't want them in the beginning to be discouraged. So I prefer them to have cooked veggies. Um, and I ask them, you know, you can steam them or you can saute them. Um, and then as they've gotten into the habit of serving those vegetables and eating them a couple weeks in or three weeks in or four weeks in, then we do a live, like where I get on with them, kind of like a FaceTime and I see how much oil they're putting in, how high is the temperature going? Um, and we talk about that and that's where I teach to modify. But for me to first, I really want them to build the habit of having it and having the taste of veggies on their plate and getting used to that habit. 
Right. So it's the proportions as opposed to the um, the, the, nutrient, the, the density. nutrient density to yeah. begin with, which makes sense because, yeah, as you said, that you look at the plate and maybe there isn't as much vegetable there as as you think. And often, you know, you look at Indian Indian curries, for example, especially in the Gujarati culture and what I grew up, you'd have your curry, which might be potato based. Right. And, and yeah. you know, that's a starchy carbohydrate. And then you might have a rice with that. And then you might have your chapati or your, rot your roti with that as well. So you're you know again you look yeah. at that plate and suddenly when you actually think about what macronutrients you've got on your plate and it's all carbohydrates predominantly um so when you when you think about okay well you know you're not getting as many veggies as you think you are maybe can we increase that and decrease somewhere else that that certainly makes sense um and then obviously looking at the the cooking process and and the the temperature and this is this is what i, I think i wasn't very clear this is this the temperature that i was i was uh, referring to because often uh, again this is not based on science it's just my observation of what i've seen is often when these curries are cooked you know they're left they're cooked for a very long period of time you know often at very very high temperatures or, or they're just left at heat and that heating process you know can degrade the quality of the nutrients you're getting so i'm not advocating we all start eating raw food because of course that's not that's not sustainable but um there is something with the cooking process and clearly this is something that you do address as well Yes, um, I do. I do address it. Um, the first thing I, when we start getting to the process of the cooking process, I actually, we go through like meal prepping. Um, I'm assuming in the UK, it's very similar to the US. You know, it's a hustle and bustle and it's a tough life. Like you're working, everybody's working. Part of the prep is we don't have cooks that, at least here in the US, it's very rare to have a cook come daily to cook for you fresh, right? So what I teach is to do a meal prep. Um, you know, you go get your tindra, you go get your green beans, go get all your shacks and your vegetables. Um, the day that you can go to the market, whether it's Saturday or Sunday, a weekend day, and cut them up. Take that hour after you go to the market, cut everything up and store them in the fridge. So then when it comes to cooking to make a sebji, you know, you and I know, kind of like, it can take like 15 minutes if it's, everything's already cut up and washed. It doesn't take long. So I teach them to do that. I also teach them ways to incorporate um, nutrient-dense foods like vegetables, like beets, cucumbers, um, you name it, you got it, um, that can be eaten raw in addition to having the cooked vegetable. And then with the dolls, I ask them to have them already maybe pressure cooked or steamed and kept in a jar. So then when they get home and they're ready to have dal with the dinner, they just do a vagar. So they quickly cook it and it's ready to go. So it doesn't sit and boil down and break down and have time to lose its the importance and the nutrients. Okay. Yeah. So that just that meal prep, again, something that we introduce in our program is just meal planning and meal preparation. And, you know, whether it's yeah. chopped veggies or chopped, you know, having rice ready, you know, ready to go or quinoa, or whatever it might be. Yeah, absolutely. Just, and I think you can adapt that to, to any culture, right? It doesn't matter what you're eating. Um, but yeah, certainly I like the fact that you're just trying to, it's just making it easy, right? Just how can we make it easier to, to get the nutrients in that we need um, and, and make sure we're getting the right, right amounts. Um, talking about actually, you know what a, a plate would look like because again this is it differs between cultures and households and, and everywhere you go you know what how would you how would you plate up a meal what would, what would be your 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 steps that you would take so my ideal is let's do a typical thali like typical meal uh meal. um i want them to have a half a plate of vegetables so which rounds out to be about two cups um so i prefer them to plate the vegetable first, um, including like maybe the 
you know, the cucumber beets or the carrots or whatever it may be on the side that's cold, including that with the shack or the sabji, the vegetable. And then I ask them to go for the protein. They put it in a bowl, um, depending on the size, obviously, you and I know that there's some calculations involved anywhere between two and six ounces of dal. Um, and then I ask them to do a roti. And when they make a roti, not to be a 10-inch roti, which just seems to be growing as we the size of those continue to grow. <laughs> um, does that make sense to you, yes. what I'm trying to say? Yeah, yeah. You know, if you were to measure a traditional one going back into India, they're about five or six inches mm. in diameter. And now when you, even me, I can be guilty of it. Mine can get up to like seven, eight inches. Um, and in that, those portions do make a difference. Those sizes makes a difference. So I encourage them to remind them, you know, when we go, I get out and show them plate sizes and I, I show the physical stuff so they can see the comparison, um, and the caloric differences between those. Um, and then I, I tell them, you know, you can choose rice too. Um, or you, you know, maybe there's some days that you're just really not feeling the roti. You don't have to have it. It's Okay then you can have rice. My teacher measurements, I actually have them portion out. What is one fourth cup of rice? What is one half cup of rice? So they can really see what they're eating and not. And I think that in, in that there's a realization. And then I ask for them to always pair yogurt with it if they're not vegan. And I think that that makes a complete meal. And of course, then to have water. When you, when they, they, you talk about those portion sizes and they the re- you said the realization comes. Is there any resistance there saying, well, how is that a portion? Because this is, again, this is my experience is like, well, we, this, this is what a portion of rice looks like. This is what a portion of this looks like. It's like, that that's just seems too little. I mean, does that, does that ever come happen? And how would you overcome that obstacle? Yeah, um, that does happen. Absolutely. Um, and I tell them, here's our first line of defense. Water first, veggies second, protein third, carbs fourth. So if you're feeling that you're not really getting enough, have a glass of water. It takes our brain 15 to 20 minutes to communicate with our gut if we're full. Um, You know, our body is amazing. So trust it a little bit and then allow that communication to happen. And in that time, drink some water before you go for that second helping. I never say you can't have a second helping. I just want them to know, don't plate it right away. And then when you are still hungry, then let's use the plate of, let's use that method of defense. Okay. Let me go grab some more sub G or salad and give myself another 10 minutes if you're hungry or not. And by that time they're fatigued and their body has already communicated to their gut. The brain has already communicated to the gut I'm full. You're done. You don't need to eat anymore. Um, and it's getting in tune with that, that those habits start to form. Of course there's resistance, you know, when they have their dinner parties and they go out and all that stuff goes out the door. Um, but I encourage them to just be mindful and be aware. Yeah, you were, you mentioned the word their habits, and I think this is you know this all stems from habits from childhood and from you know, grandparents and whoever you know. It's it's just because that's what you've always deemed to be a portion of rice or a portion of um, curry or whatever it might be. That doesn't necessarily mean it's it's the it's a right right. It's just, it's just that well that's what we've always had in our house. Well that's okay that's fine, but that doesn't mean it's optimal for your health at this point in time 
And I think that's the that's how I try to sort of talk about it and say, look, yeah, this is fine. And 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 I look at you know, and it's the cultural thing as well, right? You mentioned those dinner parties, and it's sort of, you know, it's always this. It's a feeding culture, right? This is yeah. you know, many many I've, I've spoken to many people in, in different cultures actually, and they said, you know, all our cultures, African cultures, they're very much uh, feed, have one, I'd go on, and it's almost it's it's almost a, well it is a disrespect when you go somewhere and you don't eat and, I, and yeah. this is something i i face and and i think that that becomes ingrained in us that oh i have to eat or i have to finish my plate i remember as a kid it was like you must finish your plate you know you have to finish all your food and and that is a beginning of a habit of of overconsumption. yes absolutely um, i even catch myself with my family doing that you know with my growing teens no, you've got to eat what I served you because I don't want you coming back in an hour <laughs> and eating, yeah. you know, but then I stop myself because I don't want them to have that. It is. And when, when we explain that to them, just the way you did, they are a little bit of like, they have an epiphany. Oh, you're right. You know? Uh, oh, I'm aware. Um, but I do teach them how to have this line of defense for health. When you do go out to eat, um, I don't want to impede on their social life. I think it's super important to have. Um, and it's part of happiness and something you find joy in. So I tell them, you know, every dinner party, and if they're making the typical meals that are fancier, there's going to be a vegetable dish. There has to be a vegetable dish. Put it on your plate. And if you're, the other thing that you can do is before you go eat. So when you're there, you can actually use the appetizer plate as your entree plate. Um, and your plate looks full. A big part of it is the placebo effect on our brain. When we see our plate is full, we think we're getting a lot of food and we're going to eat it and feel fuller. When you use a bigger plate, you're going to put more and finish it. So I think, and if you, I don't know, at least the trend in the United States, the plates get bigger and bigger, you know, our appetizer. Big Tell me about it. We've 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 got plates that I can't even stand up in my dishwasher. I mean, they're so big. And um, <laughs> actually, fun, funny enough, funny enough, they're made from Pottery Barn, and we bought them when we we're in the UAE. So yeah, it's come from the states. So I blame all you. I blame you guys. Yes, we're <laughs> to blame. I mean, you know, our bowls are. I mean, everything is big. It's, <laughs> I, I, it's just and and the biggest thing I teach in America, like with the clients, is we like things bigger, and we think things that are bigger are better. But in health. No, that's not the truth, you know? And so I really do try to teach them. And if you want to stick to that bigger is better mentality, then you're going to get with the veggie. You're going to get on that board. You know, you're going to get on that plant forward because that's the only way to achieve your health goals and improve your longevity in life to enjoy the bigger, better homes that you consider are the best. So um, I, I really come from where they are trying and I try to use their words and their, you know, their examples as to, um, like I have a current client who has a Friday night dinner with standing with the family and they go to their favorite Italian restaurant. So she's concerned, right? How do I continue to navigate this? You know, they all pretty much have the, so I've taught them, you know, some of my tricks are, you know, you look at the sides and order that as your appetizer, which are very vegetables. So go get the broccoli or the broccolini or the asparagus as your appetizer. So when you eat that as your appetizer, when you do order your meal, you won't be as hungry because it still takes about 20 minutes before the next meal comes, the second part of your, the second course. And always, you know, pair your glass of wine with a large glass of water and make sure you continue to stay hydrated through the meal. So um, I think just giving them real examples as to what to do. And then when they start practicing them, they're starting to realize that there is a change that happens. And with that, I think that you possibly could agree with me when you do 
incorporate the amount of freshness or even frozen vegetables, but the amount, when you start increasing the amount of fiber, your gut feels better. You know, you, you have regular bowel movements. Um, the fog in your brain starts to clear up. You just feel better. hundred percent. Yeah. Uh, there's, there's huge, you know, I've witnessed it myself. I've witnessed it within my family. I've witnessed it with clients and, you know, it, it, there's a, there's a huge shift and there's a transformation, uh, even just, you know, and again, I've seen you post a lot about hydration and drinking water and I love it because, you know, that's one of the, again, one of the first steps with when I was a personal trainer or working actively, it was one of the first things I would ask people is that, you know, how much water are you drinking in a day? And, and I'll just get them to up that. And the, the, the feedback I got just from that was immense. You know, oh, wow, you know, just from drinking, I'm now measuring how much water I actually drink and I'm actually getting my, you know, one, six to eight cups or, you know, uh, one and a half to two liters and it's making me feel I have more energy and, you know, this and that. So that, again, just in itself is a huge, huge factor. And I think that's something that's maybe overlooked as a very, again, like the English here, we're very much a a tea drinking culture. The Indian culture is also very much a tea drinking culture. And um, and that I think they assume, you know, and it's sweet and it's got milk. So it's very different to the tea that we would have here with just a tea bag and maybe a splash of milk. Um, so maybe they're, they're not getting the hydration that they think they're getting. So, you know, I think that's another big area that we could, we could look at in this culture and say, look, yeah, get, make sure you're getting your water in. And the first thing in the morning, again, it's a, something I've adopted for many, many years and it's such an important time to do it. So yeah, the, the hydration part is, is, is a big part that you just touched on there. Look, I can't have a discussion about Indian food and cooking without talking about oils because oh, yeah. people will shoot me down. So what's what as a nutritionist as a, you know a, a, I'm giving you the power and authority here. What's what how how do you tackle that because it's a question I get all the time. What oil should I use Sanjay? Can I use this oil? Can I use that oil? I mean, you know, what what's your advice on, on that when when someone maybe asks you that question? Yeah, when they when they're like, "Oh, should I use this? Should I not use this?" So Yeah. Look, I think you I think you've mentioned also is how much oil do you actually use? Um, I teach them about smoke points, right? So when we like to do a vagar or a thurka, when we cook, right, we get that to a pretty high temperature. So we think like canola and vegetable oils at a minimal use is safe and it's fine. I know they have a really bad rap. They're taken and assumed to be so negative. How's that? Where I think that they are okay to have in a limited amount. When you, when I start working with my clients and I see how much they have, I say, no, 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 no. Let's like, let's lower that, you know, let's reduce the amount. And then they start to realize that it doesn't need that much to have the flavor or the feeling that they get genetically oiled engineering or what is it? Genetically engineered, um, oils happen. And that's like the soy, the corn canola. So I know that you have trouble getting a hold of not those, right? So you can use extra virgin olive oil, right? But you can't necessarily use that also in a large amount. Um, Oils are just oils. They're still fat, right? Should be used in minimal amounts. So, um, you know, there's an avocado oil. It's a very neutral flavor. You can use it as a high heat. So I, you know, I get a little resistance on that because it's a little bit more expensive. And I also do steer away from, you know, like the fried chakris and the fafra and all that stuff. And I ask them, you know, if they really want it, then you have it on occasion. And then there's great alternates out there that where you can find recipes and you can bake them. So I try to incorporate that. There's the butter versus ghee. Am I answering your question or not? I just don't want no, to... No, you you've led on nicely to butter versus ghee because this is my next question. So, oh, yeah. sorry. Then there's the <laughs> go whole... ahead. No, no, go ahead. 
you know, there's the whole controversy about butter versus ghee. You know, ghee is better for you than butter. Well, look, they're pretty much the same to me. And they're both going to be used for my recommendation, used sparingly. It's not where you top off every kitchen with two tablespoons of ghee or butter. You know, um, you know, we're not going to do a nice thick centimeter of butter on our toes. Like I, there is no benefit in that. Um, the only benefit is that it does taste good. That's a huge benefit to a lot of people, unfortunately. Right. But then I do tell them that because we're Indian and we have these amazing spices that make our food taste really good without all of that. Um, good point. And when you start to do the transition, I don't say you cut out, if you're used to having two tablespoons additional on your kitchen with of ghee, which I even grew up having it like that. You know, I mean, I remember my mom like slathering it on and saying it's good for you. And this is how you should be eating it. You taper like, and so your taste buds get used to it. You know, our taste buds change about every two weeks and it takes over about three months before that turnover really happens. And for us to adapt for all of those taste buds to be there. So I think it just happens in time. I am not a fan of coconut oil. I think that it has more negative than a benefit in the diet. It's great for your hair, great for your skin. Use it as a lotion and a hydration, but not necessarily in food. Yeah, look, I think I think you've you've touched on everything there in that look, it's the amounts, right? Again, we're going back to portions, we're going back to amounts. Yeah, we're going back to that. And you know, if we look at the science behind fats, you know, no matter what kind of fat you're using, what kind of oil you're using, we're talking about nine calories per per gram, right? Of when we're talking about fat. So um, whether it's coconut or canola or you know olive or whatever it is, it's it's the amounts that you use that is going to be is going to be key. I think the one thing I would like to maybe touch on a little bit more, uh, just briefly, is that you talked about heating and and how hot or how, how you know the the temperature that you're going to use. Is there a, is there a, again is there a a good choice to use if you're going to be frying, for example? Because again, in our culture, there's a lot of frying that goes on, and you know, is there a, something there? And then the other thing that lead that leads onto that is the you know the reusing of oil because this is something i've seen in my household in the past where oil has been reused so again maybe we can touch on that okay so for deep frying um there's like safflower oil i think is probably you can get that to about 500 degrees and it's safe um there's a peanut oil and sunflower for about 450 ish you know and then 400 is generally your standard vegetable canola oil. So that's the range for me. I always like to, I'm going to preface it with you. I really discourage them to do the deep frying. Um, and Agreed. if you're going to, it's going to be on occasion. Um, and I, that is like a blatant flat out thing for me. And I encourage if you're going to have your fried food, it's when you're out and you have it as a treat versus when you're making the large amount and they're in your home. 100% agree. I mean, even to the point where my mum started, you know, baking samosas, you know, yeah. she'll, she'll yeah, put, brush them with a bit of oil uh, on either side and bake them. And t- to me, yeah, again, a connoisseur might say, oh, they don't taste as good, but yeah, I think they taste pretty good. It's the, it's the filling that makes it, right? So um, the filling's the same. So yeah. So you hit the nail on that. Like, I'm so excited to hear you say, because it's the filling. That is the flavor. So use yeah. your masala, go ahead and do it. Um, and I, that's one of the things I ask them to buy is a pastry brush. Um, so you can rub on the oil or the butter or the ghee, whatever it is that you want because, or the spray version, um, you can buy avocado oil in a spray. You can buy olive oil in a spray and using that if you want, 
because that doesn't count as much, right? Because that spray has air and it's really fine droplets. And I teach them, you know, we don't spray just from five inches above the item. We spray from about 12 inches above the item. Um, and so you can get that spray and that taste. Um, I do encourage them to start baking those items that they prefer fried. Um, and then you asked me another question after the fried items, which oil? It was the, it was the reheating of, of oils when, you know, so it's usually frying and then they'll maybe use the oil again. I really do not like it and I don't encourage it. Um, but I'm very well aware of financial disparities. So I treat her that very gently. How's that? Yeah. Okay. Um, from a, from a nutritional scientific perspective, you know, uh, what is, what is wrong with doing that? Okay. I try to teach them never to do it. How's that? Because it produces harmful substances that can cause, and it can cause to become rancid. How's that? Also cause it causes like pungent or really strong odors, which could be a sign also of oil being bad and possibly producing the harmful substances. So I try to teach them a little bit from that perspective. And then once I have that established, I do tell them like, let's not do this. Don't fry and eat the deep fried foods. If you are going to eat the deep fried foods, then you know, eat them sparingly or save those for those special occasions or when you're going out. That makes sense. And then don't reuse the the, the oil uh, if you are going to re, you know if you are yeah. going to fry at home. Um, and then there's a couple of oils you mentioned there: safflower, peanut, and sunflower for those extremely higher higher temperatures. Um, so yeah, that's that's great. So again, yeah, this is people say, "Well, that doesn't really answer my question, Sanjay." And I said, "Well, look, it's, it's just again, I'm going to say it again. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to apologize for sounding like a broken record. It just comes back down to those amounts. And again, if we look at in the UK, we have the Eat Well Guide, which is the government guidance on you know what your nutrition should look like i don't know what it is in the us is it a pyramid or they keep yeah, we have a pyramid or a plate you have the pyramid we have yeah i mean there's a few my plate and then there's a pyramid right yeah but if you look at the uk one and you look at the um yeah there's carbohydrates there's vegetables there's starchy carbohydrates there's fats there's dairies uh, and there's protein but if you look at the fat it's a tiny little sliver on this it's like a pie chart and it's a very small amount and I, you know, when i show people that they're like well that's tiny i'm like exactly this is what we were saying you don't need that much to get you know your vagar going or whatever your your sauteing going it's yeah, and as you said it's the flavors is going to come from those spices and and the other ingredients and the vegetables and everything else that you put in it so yeah it, it's just i just think it's awareness it's education um just bringing this more to the masses and, and and showing them that actually you can do a lot more with a lot less um and i think once that once that's experienced once that's witnessed and they see that and, and then the shift can happen and i think you know you know my, my both my parents unfortunately have type 2 diabetes but since that they have changed a drastic amount of you know the, the way that they prepare their food they haven't changed what they've eaten they're still eating the same food but they just found, and my mom's really creative like that. And she asked me, "Oh, can I? What about this?" And she's, you know, she's very creative, and she'll find other ways to to make food. And I've been, you know, health conscious for a long time, even when I was living at home when I was younger. So even from then, she would find alternative ways to make, you know, make the same food for me. So that there, you know, it, it, the shift can happen. I think, you know, the more people like you there are out there, the more people that are spreading this message and and you know, giving that sp specific cultural information. Because as I said earlier, I think. They do feel like they get left out or they feel like they get left out when nutritional guidance is given because it doesn't, they just can't relate to the food. They look at, you know, uh, you know, the eat well guide or the food pyramid and they look at the types of foods and say, well, yeah, okay, I eat bread and I eat potatoes, but it, it doesn't really relate to me. And I think um, 
this is where we just need to you know spread that message uh, a bit further but yeah again amounts just just small amounts is all you really need and, and the sprays again i love i love that because i use them myself and it's something i recommend and it's a great way to just limit limit yeah. the amounts the sprays work great um, and it definitely reduces the amount that they put in and them recognizing also that sometimes something, some of the stuff doesn't need the vagar at all. And it's just individual, like teaching them, Hey, you know, you, you can just steam it and it tastes just as fine. You can add some of this. Um, so it's, you know, it takes a little practice, but they, they learn and they don't see someone like you or I, unless they're really ready for a change. And so when they do come in, Maybe there's slight resistance, but the rapport and the trust that's built when you're there to tell them like, Hey, we're here to add. Um, and then, and I teach, I really do focus on your defense on how to protect your health is water, veggies, you know? And when I say veggies right after that comes fruit, but then your protein is also important. And then your carbohydrate, like, I don't want it to be carbohydrate, fruit, maybe a little bit of vegetable and then water. It's like completely reversed. And that's kind of what I work strongly with. And they start to modify. They do get it. Sarika, if people want to find out more about what you're doing, what services you offer, um, how you offer those services, obviously things have changed with with COVID-19 and things like that. As I'm guessing you do a lot of things online and we had this discussion before, but how can they find out more about what you're up to? Yeah, so the best way to find me is on Instagram. Um, Instagram, find me on Instagram and it's indian.nutritionist. I have a link in my bio where you can apply through that program. Um, I do want to preface it with, I only see people right now in the United States um, just for legal reasons. Cause for my licensing, it's a registered dietitian. i don't fall under a health coach. So I don't want to lose my license for practicing outside of what my license allows me to do. And it's one-on-one coaching or I do do occasional groups and in the groups, people from the outside can apply outside of the United States. Cause that's not dietetic teaching. That's, a group coaching program. And so look, even if you are, you know, not in the US, um, just going to, I, I highly advise you to go and check out the Instagram page because it's just, you're always posting tips and tricks, information, not tricks, tips and information and, you know, tips that things you can do, little swaps and, and, you know, talking about portions and just, just comparison. So it's lots of, lots of information on there. I, you know, I, I, that's what actually attracted me to, to contact you in the first place. So it's a very good page. And then, yeah, you, you can, you can go from there. And if you are in the US, yeah, go reach out and, you you know, have a have a conversation to do something, particularly if you're in that demographic, in that Indian culture, and, and you're maybe a little bit stuck and, and lost in, in your ways of, of what to do. So, um, yeah, I'll put all the links to uh, to Sarika's uh, you know socials on the on the show notes page and in the episode description, so you can go check her out. But uh, look, Sarika, thank you very much for um, for taking the time out of your day to speak to me. Um, it's been it's been interesting, uh, and yeah, I certainly hope that we can uh, we can maybe deep dive deeper on the subject uh, in the future oh, i appreciate for having me sunday so much this was a great conversation um and thanks for bringing light to our culture and our health it's really prevalent and it's important and i appreciate you putting the word out i really do so thank you for having me on this obesity crisis this health crisis yeah one person can't fight it themselves we need we need a collective and and this is, is exactly why i do this is to just try and reach out to more people who are doing the same thing and, and just you know get that message spread wider so yeah no thank you to you as well thank you to this week's guest for their time and insights it was a real pleasure speaking to them all the social media and website links for today's guest can be found on the show notes page on our website which is www.stayhole.co.uk 
forward slash SWP. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please share it with someone that you think might benefit from it. I would also be very grateful if you could visit Apple Podcasts or Stitcher and leave me a review. It will really help this information reach more and more people. Thank you. And if you're a health, fitness or wellness professional and you want to be a guest on the show or you have your own personal health and wellness journey that you want to share, then contact me via email. It's sunjay at stayhole.co.uk. That's S-U-N-J-A-Y at stayhole.co.uk. You can get me on Instagram or Twitter. It's at stayholelife or on facebook.com forward slash stayhole. I would love to hear from you. Thank you to Purple Planet for all the music in this episode. And as always, thank you to you for listening. I am forever grateful. And remember to stay whole.